Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about everything and anything nursing and healthcare-related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. So on today's show, we're going to be sharing seven must-know tips for people who are considering cosmetic surgery. Now, listen, I know we all want that perfect beach body, but it isn't worth dying for, right? There can be some serious complications, but they're rare. But still, it doesn't seem rare when it's happening to you or someone you love. So even if it's not you that's considering the surgery, I bet you know someone who is, or even a patient who's asked you about it, because plastic surgery is growing in popularity every year, guys. Okay, we spent enough time in quarantine to kind of look at ourselves and find all the things we don't like. Now we're out to fix it because we want to go out on that summer vacation and look our best. So now who else better to have on the show other than one of our nation's leading experts? He is an amazing surgeon and actually, and guys, let me also say this. It's really important that when you're vetting your plastic surgeon, that you do some research on them. Okay. So, I mean, he graduated magna cum laude and BA in biological basis behavior, neuroscience concentration from University of Pennsylvania. I mean, he's had his medical training at New York University. He's graduate honors in cell biology research. I'm probably just skimming over his many accomplishments, but, you know, post-grad training in facial plastic surgery. And, and I can't even pronounce this word. Oto, oh, help me out, doc. Otolaryngology. Did I say it right? See, listen, and this is why he's an expert because I can't even pronounce this word. But I mean, he's, he, he did that at Mount uh, Sinai Hospital in New York City and really is one of the top sought out plastic surgeons in the nation. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Richard Westrike. So Dr. Richard, I just glaze over your several accomplishments there. But, you know, outside of that, can you tell um, our listeners a little bit about why you chose this specialty? Absolutely. So I originally went into ear, nose, and throat, which is the non-fancy way of saying otolaryngology. So through that, you then can go into facial plastics. So I do predominantly facial work, a little bit of body work, but mostly facial. I was drawn to that, I think, particularly because especially the facial work is very sculptural. Uh, It's very three-dimensional. It's very individualized. You know, every surgery is a little bit different because everybody's anatomy is a little bit different. But I think the thing that mainly drew me in was the idea that I could make you better in some way. You have an issue or problem with a particular body area, something that gives you some anxiety or makes you, you know, feel self-conscious. Well, I can remove that and help you get past that and focus on things that are maybe more important. In life. That is very different from most medicine. Most medicine is about getting you back to the way you were before you needed me. And so I just felt that it was a very interesting difference and 
I'm able to have a different relationship with my patients as a result of, of the fact that I'm sort of helping them to a new level, which, you know, is fantastic. Right. And I think um, in addition to like the medicine and the science, which I know you stay current with, because stuff is always changing. I'm, I don't know, 20 years ago, if we even had the technology that we have today, but, you know, and, and I know you're going to elaborate more on that, but there's definitely the science, but you're, you have an art because I'll say this. I think not everyone is great at art. I'm not that myself included. I'm just, I've never been that person, but I feel like, you know, when you're in addition to looking for your, your surgeon, making sure that they have all these credentials, that it's someone who's really passionate about it and loves to do it. And, you know, expresses, you know, in a previous conversation with you, you mentioned about how artistic you are because literally, I mean, people are coming in and they're probably coming in with pictures and say, I want to look like this. And you with the science and the tools that you have, have to figure out how to create this masterpiece for your patients. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely yeah, a big aspect of that in terms of creativity. And I'm a fairly left brain person. And in addition to being obviously a right brain person for medical school, but you know, I'm a, I'm a painter, I'm a musician. I have never been a, I've never been, done sculpture, but I, I imagine I would really, really enjoy being a sculptor. But Maybe that's for like retirement. But I think the idea is some people can three-dimensionally visualize and sort of see the form of what they're trying to make. If you think about a sculptor, a sculptor is looking at a block of clay or you know, marble, and they're seeing within that medium the shape and the form that they're trying to make. So I always say that the, the best surgeons are the ones that have a a visual goal, right? <clears throat> so one of the things I'll say is that a plan without a vision is a recipe, right? Got it. And Got it. having a recipe mm-hmm. doesn't make you a chef. Now, mm. if you do the recipe enough times and you're paying attention, then you start to gain some knowledge. And I think if you're a left brain person, you then start to explore variations in that recipe to try and individualize your dish. So I think the best surgeons are the ones that start off as line cooks and become chefs because they can visualize. And once they learn the steps of the recipe, they can then, I don't want to say freelance, but they can then create within that structure to make it better and sometimes create some new techniques, which I've done. And I think it's really exciting to be able to do things like that. You can't do that when you're taking out a gallbladder, right? Right. You have to follow the steps. And if you don't follow the steps, you have problems. So, you know, plastic surgery is a very, very different experience, not only for the patient, but also for the doctor, because there is that creative exploration and the fact that everybody's anatomy is really different. So every case is exciting. Every case is novel. Every outcome is different than the one before. And I think that keeps every day fresh. Definitely in every case, it's individualized care because I imagine you're seeing so many different shapes and sizes and, uh, you know, people wanting different things. And and I'm glad that you're creative. So guys, side note, maybe one of the questions you want to ask your potential surgeon is, are you an artist? Do you create music? Like ask, do you sculpt? Like maybe those are some fun things to ask them. But, um, uh, and I, and, and I'm sure you love this so much. You're probably very far from retirement and we need great surgeons like yourself. Now, Post-pandemic, we're kind of getting, quote unquote, back to normal. We're now kind of getting out to really have those summer vacations and all of these other things. Everyone wants to look good. Many of us have kind of 
you've gotten out of shape during the pandemic, those COVID pounds, what they call it. And I can imagine you have lots of people flocking to you right now saying, make me look like this. Can I look like this? And doc, I'll just say this. We know, even if we look at just general medicine, it can be costly for some people, right? Some people to even afford those things and to then desire an elective procedure, which sometimes insurance can cover some things, but for the most part, it's, you know, you're going to be paying it for for yourself. I imagine some people are bargain shopping for their, their surgeries as well. So that's something that is really concerning. I know uh, medical tourism is an issue, but you shared with me seven tips to keep yourself safe while you're exploring an elective procedure. So I wanted to kind of go through those. Now, your first tip, you say, make sure any doctor you schedule through a virtual visit allows you to cancel after an in-person meeting for surgery. There's no substitute for a face-to-face. Tell me a little bit more about that. I think what happened, which was both good and bad, is during the pandemic, everybody clearly had to adopt virtual consultations. But the reality is doing a virtual consultation is, is much easier to set up, coordinate with the patient. The amount of time that you're typically in the consult is a little bit less. Um, so instead of it being an hour, it's a half an hour. So essentially, like the funnel just expanded, right? So you can see, I could see more patients. You as the patient could go on more consults. It just became really easy. In addition to that, people had a lot of time to think about things during the pandemic. And so they were almost like chomping at the bit. And so there was this sort of almost irrational exuberance of just wanting to move forward and get it done. But the reality is surgery is a physical thing. It's a physical process. And so I can see you on a Zoom or a photo and I can determine maybe 90% of what I need to know as a surgeon just from seeing a photo. But there's going to be elements that I can't determine from a photo. And so for me as a surgeon, I would never want to operate on you if I didn't reevaluate you in person and make sure that those photographic or video assumptions were correct. In addition, Mm -hmm. surgery is a really sort of intimate experience for both parties involved. And so I think there's also an element of we should like each other. Yeah, (laughs) that's important. You should think that I'm a nice person, that I have your best interests at heart. And I should think that, you know, you understand what it is that I'm conveying and you agree and that I understand what your goals and motivations are. And I just don't think that you can fully vet that over Zoom. So I I always insisted during the pandemic that even if somebody booked a surgery on a Zoom, that they had to come in and see. Even if you're from out of the country, Mm -hmm. and this was pre-pandemic, you had to come see me at least two or three days before the procedure. I would never meet you in the surgery center and perform just because I felt that that personal interaction was so critical, both on a medical and also emotional level. I thought it was fair during the pandemic that you might like me on Zoom, but maybe you don't like me when you meet me. So I just thought it was fair that you should be able to cancel if it turns out you meet me in person and you're not so enamored. Uh, And I think that's just like a fair human way of going about it. I almost think it's like an impulse buy. Sometimes you buy something without really having a chance to think through it. And I want to see your office. I want to see the environment in which you work, kind of give me an idea 
of maybe some of your work ethics, the cleanliness of things, the, you know, how, just how business runs because, and not saying that you would do this, but I'm pretty sure there are some smooth talkers, ladies and gentlemen, you've, you've met them in your personal lives and you want to make sure that the, the person you're going to entrust with sculpting you is someone who you feel comfortable with. So I, I, that's, I'm glad that you said that. Now your second tip for us, you say your health doesn't belong in the bargain bin. Ooh, because I like a good bargain, bargain, but I do like my health. So tell me a little bit more. I mean, bargains are great, but you know, we've all gone to a sample sale and walked home with something and said, you know, the next day, why in God's name did I buy that? <laughs> yeah. It broke. Bargain, mm-hmm. Bargains make, you make bad decisions sometimes. Now, there's not a 100% correlation with price and value, but there's generally an association, right? So when I was younger and less experienced, my prices were substantially lower. It didn't mean that I was bad. I think I was good, but I mean, I wasn't as good as I am now. And I do think that there is some association between price and value. Now, if you want to leave New York City, you can go to someplace else where the price for the best surgeon in that area is going to be less just because the cost of living and the price for everything, including a quart of milk, is less. So I think that's not an insensible way of trying to price reduce, maybe going to a different geographic area within the United States and getting a very qualified person there. There are some logistical difficulties which we can talk about. But essentially, you know, if I do a lot of a procedure and I feel like I'm an expert in that procedure, even within my own practice, those procedures tend to be on the higher pricing scale. The things I'm starting out doing or I don't do as much of typically are going to be on a lower price, even within my own practice. So as I said, there's an association. And I do think it's important to evaluate kind of the entire practice, the doctor, the price, the geography, whether or not they have experience with this particular surgery and make your best decision. You can get some right. wonderful treatments from some, I'm just going to say, younger plastic surgeons who are very well trained and probably, you know, save some money. But, you know, they're just not going to have the same experience. And so it's possible that that lack of experience, for example, might in some way cause your result to be not as good as it could have been. It's probably still going to be good, I'm, but maybe it could have been better, mm-hmm. right? Um, And so it's almost like anything else, right? You don't want to get the most expensive or the least expensive. You kind of want to go for somewhere in the middle. And I think you raise a point. So, you know, with experience comes wisdom. I mean, you're going to get, as a patient, we will benefit from your experience as a provider, which may mean that the price costs a little bit more, but the procedure will be more efficient, you know, not all the time, but the probability of, you know, less errors or less, you know, it's just a better overall experience because you're paying, you're paying for experience. That's guys, that's like when you're working as a nurse, as you climb the clinical ladder, your salary goes up because you have years of experience. So you're going to be more efficient with what you do and, you know, things like that. So that makes sense, doc. Now this one kind of ties in a little bit to your next tip, because you talked about going to like another city that had like a a lower cost of living. So that might be more of a bargain, but I'm going to you know, by the time you pay for your air flights and the the inconvenience, I don't know if it's really going to pan out, guys. But the tip number three is, because this, this is something that's big, 
medical tourism, it can be dangerous. Laws may differ, regulations may differ, and problems with aftercare may arise. So this is a big one. So tell us a little bit more about this tip. I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to the question of whether you're, you know, an optimist or a pessimist, right? And so if you're an extreme optimist, you won't even consider the possibility that something may not work out or that you, you won't even consider the, the, the reality that you might have a problem after surgery maybe immediately afterward, or maybe in a slightly delayed fashion. But I think it's good to be an optimist, but it's not good to be overly optimistic. You should, again, in any informed consent, having a surgical procedure, there should be some risks explained to you that are associated with that procedure. And even though the risks are uncommon, I had a mentor that used to say, uncommon things are common to those they happen to, right? So... Mm -hmm. If it's 1%, well, somebody has to be that one in 100. And so that's your risk assessment. The problem with, with medical tourism is that if you're going to another country, having a procedure, and then you're coming home, and you're the unfortunate one in 100, it's very difficult to get care for that problem. It's very hard for a surgeon to care for a patient that they didn't operate on, especially, for example, in plastic surgery, because I don't know what they did to you. Exactly. I don't know the exact surgery that they did. Even if you have an operative report, there are nuances within the surgery that may not be clear and I may not be able to read between the lines. So my ability to give you care is not going to be as good as the original surgeon that did the procedure. Also, surgeons are a little reluctant to take care of other people's complications from a medical legal standpoint. Obviously, once you start taking care of somebody, that complication then becomes your responsibility. And once if the patient has a bad outcome, that bad outcome becomes yours. So there's a reluctance for people to necessarily take care of these patients. It's more difficult for them. And generally, you know, if you have surgery with me and you come in for visits after the surgery, you know, your whole cost of care is included in the surgical but then there's also the cost, mm -hmm. right? If you're not my patient, well, I'm ch I have to charge you for those visits. So, right. you know, I think it just needs to be thought about. If I go to Mexico to get my breast augmentation, we should you have to at right. least have the thought, what happens if something goes wrong? Am I going to be comfortable, you know, trying to take care of this here? Um, do I have a mechanism? Right. Um, I almost would recommend... Mm -hmm that if you are going to do medical tourism, you should at least consult with a local plastic surgeon before you go. Don't necessarily tell them that you're consulting, but you're going you know, to Mexico to get the procedure, but have a consult mm -hmm. so that you exist in somebody's system. They have photographs of you. They have some medical notes on you so that if you are in a pinch and you need to see mm -hmm. somebody, well, that person at least knows who you are. And I think it would be helpful. Right. You mentioned that regulations are different too, Doc. So, I mean, the standards of care that I would receive here in the United States, are those potentially different standards in other countries? I mean, is that also an issue that caused some problems for our care out of the country? I believe so. I mean, in some countries, certain drugs aren't available. They're only available in oh. certain countries. Let's say they're newer or more expensive. 
also regulations for operating rooms, even state to state within the United States, regulations are different in terms of, let's say you're having liposuction. You know, in New York, you're only allowed to remove five liters of fluid, but in another state, it might be three. Another state, it might be six. In Mexico, it might be 10. I don't know. But so the, the regulations okay. tend Any- to be made locally. And so they, they may be very different from what they are in the U.S. Your fourth tip for us, you said understand informed consent. Ask for examples of not only the good outcomes, but also some potential bad ones and ask for data specific to the procedure and the doctor performing it, like complication rates and death rates. Do you find that patients ask you these or are these things that you, you're finding that you have to volunteer and kind of encourage people to ask these things? Um, some ask, but most sort of expect you to kind of go through it. So if I don't ever go through it, then you never hear it. The interesting thing about informed consent is that like anything else, it's a it's a legal document, right? And so there's a legal standard. So the legal standard for informed consent is anything that happens 1% or more. So if something happens a half a percent of the time, I as a physician am not legally required to tell you about it. Part of mm. informed consent. Most cosmetic procedures are really safe. So something like needing a revision is not necessarily a medical issue. So you don't even have to go through that on informed consent because it's not a medical complication. But most informed consents for cosmetic procedures would have zero things listed because most things don't happen 1% or more. In my experience, I go through a good number of things that are somewhat rare for patients in terms of aftercare, not only because I think it's important for them to know that, and it should be fine for me to tell you, well, this is something that maybe happens like one in 500 people and not have you like run out the door, but knowledge is power. And, you know, knowing those other things that could occur if they're developing in you during your recovery period, well, having heard them before, you're more likely to dissociate and act and kind of seek care. And that's kind of why I go over it, because I think it empowers the patients to recognize when things are off. Well, I would like that. I would like my my surgeon to kind of tell me all this information, because then I feel like, oh, well, there's no, they're not hiding anything. They're going to be, you know, on the up and up with me. You know, I would feel like if I have to pry and keep asking for these pieces of information, I might be a little on the fence about the commun- open communication. So I like that you do that. Sorry, one more thing. I always like to say that the difference between an excuse and an explanation is time. So if I tell you before surgery that unless you're having rhinoplasty, that your smile is gonna be funny for like a month, or you may not be able to feel your front teeth for a couple of weeks, or you may not be able to smell, or you may smell things that aren't there. Like these are all kind of oddball things. But if I tell you that before you do this surgery and then those things occur, then I'm gonna say, well, yeah, I told you that it was going to happen, maybe. And then you're not mad. But then if I don't oh, tell yes. you, and they happen, and I'm like, oh, yeah, those things happen. Then you're like, well, why didn't you tell me? So, right. yeah, and the one thing that I wanted to add was, so revision rate is not part of informed consent. But you should always ask. Mm. And, you know, surgeons should have some idea about, you know, what their secondary revision rate is. And they should be able to tell Got you. It. So that's very important to Okay, that's a good one. You guys take note of that because I know you guys know someone or you're probably thinking about yourself and don't want to tell anyone. That's okay. So tip number five here. 
You said surgery belongs in accredited operating rooms. Ask to see accreditation certificate. Ooh, not just ask about it, but to see it. I need to see it hanging on the wall. Is that what I need to see, Doc? Tell me. I don't think there's a whole lot of doctors that, you know, operate in operating rooms that aren't accredited, but they exist. If you have a room in your office, you could outfit it and make it look just like an operating room and, you know, a patient would know any difference. So accreditation process, as painful as it is for the doctor, at least from a public health standpoint, assures that this physician or this practice has all the things that are necessary in order to take care of you in, again, in the event of a problem. Medicine is a very pessimistic thought process. You're always thinking about what can go wrong. And as a patient, you're never thinking about what can go wrong. You're always thinking about what can go right. So, you know, you may have surgery and you may have a reaction to the anesthetic agent and the accreditation process ensures that that facility will have the dantrolene or the other medication that's needed to counteract that. And so there's checks mm-hmm. like that that are part of the accreditation process, the sterilization procedures, other things that I do think just verifies that there's at least a minimum threshold of safety of you going into this room and having surgery. So I think it's important to see and it shouldn't be wrong to ask. So if you're someone who's decided to do your surgery outside of the country, should you still be asking for an accreditation certificate? And even if they produce one, should we be like, are they the same? Is it the same criteria as for us here in the United States? I think if I went to another country without surgery, I would at least try to do some research and find out whether the standards are significantly different. It's always a matter of kind of personal risk assessment, but it just seems silly to me, you know, for money, if that's the reason that you're, you're going to another country to put yourself at increased risk from a health standpoint. Yeah. I just, I just wouldn't, for me, it doesn't make sense. Other people, their risk assessment is different. Okay. So guys, make sure that you ask to see the accreditation certificate. I'm going to guess, I don't know this for sure, but some people don't, I'm imagining that some people may not ask for this because they just assume that, oh, the doc, the doctor knows they're going to do all this anyways. And some people don't want to speak it up into fruition. Don't let that be your reason, guys. You still want to err on the side of safety. It's good to know that it's accredited. So just alleviate any stress or worry or concern, and even your family's concern, because they should be knowing you're going to have surgery too, that you're going to be in good hands. Okay, tip number six, make sure the board certification of a doctor makes sense for the procedure they are performing. So this is interesting because, well, doc, well, let me let me have you elaborate on it. And then I, I want to bring up some of the stories we've been seeing in the news these days about this kind of stuff. Again, most people are good actors, so there are, but there are some bad actors. So when you go to a hospital, when I go to operate in a hospital, I have to give them my credentials, and then they only approve me to do certain procedures at the hospital based on my training. So I could not go to Manhattan Ironier and do a breast augmentation because that's not part of facial plastics unless I had some other training certification that I can show them. So in that scenario, the facility, the hospital, or the ambulatory surgery center becomes the gatekeeper of making sure that the doctors are proficient in the procedures that they're performing. Now you come to my office where I have an operating room and 
Who decides what I'm proficient at? Who decides what I should be doing? Me. There's no overarching body looking and checking my credentials to make sure that I'm sufficiently trained to do that particular procedure. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where a lot of people run into problems. Um, if they do go outside their area of expertise, you know, I could probably do a breast augmentation. I mean, I've operated on the chest in various other ways. I could probably figure out how to do it, but would you want to be that person? Um, no. So, you know, again, I have board certification from the American Academy of Otolaryngology and the American Board of Facial Plastic Surgery. So it should be very obvious to you, ENT and facial plastic surgery, that if you're coming to my office for a Brazilian butt lift, that I may not have training in that procedure. And I think it's just mm. sort of a minimum threshold because, you know, again, most people are good, but there are some people that are bad and do things out of greed or other reasons that they shouldn't be doing. Those are the stories you're probably going to bring up in a, in a minute. Yes. And you obviously just want to make sure that you do your best to sniff out those type of circumstances and avoid them. So, you know, again, I don't want to denigrate anyone, but, you know, if I'm a podiatrist and you're coming to me for a facelift, well, that doesn't really make sense, you know. Unless you want your face to look like your foot. I don't think so either, no, no. Doc. But, and no, and, 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 and look, I shouldn't be doing foot surgery, right? Like, that would, mm -hmm. that would be wrong. So... So I think it's important to ask the credentials right. of the specific boards. Um, but Doc, I have to say, and and I know you guys who are listening have heard these type of stories. We've heard some horror stories. And I guess every different states have different licensing rules around this. I'm not quite sure. But there seems to be, an, and sorry if anyone is from Georgia, but these cases it seem to happen most often in Georgia. But, you know, you have the OBGYN doctor, what, well, who, you know, Yes, is familiar with the woman's anatomy and, you know, has, does some some procedures, but to then do surgical procedures, the breast augmentation and all of these other things, I imagine there has to be some surgeries training or something in there. I mean, and, you know, so if, if someone's not board certified in that specialty, I would be very concerned. Like your antenna should be raising. I want to see the certificates on the wall. I do. I want my doctor to brag about themselves when they, when I come see them. And tell me about all their special specialties. But there were some other cases. I think it was the dancing doctor. Are you, were you familiar with that one? Because it's also kind of a big thing to see on social media when we're seeing some snippets of what's happening to give us some behind the scenes. But there was a dancing doctor in Atlanta, Georgia, was doing all of these surgeries, was not board certified in these specialties. And a lot of harm came to some of her patients. And she was doing these in her office. So guys... Please, please don't let that be you talk, you know, whether it's you, your friend or a patient who's considering surgery. I think this is something that's really important, um, checking for the board certification of your doctor before for the procedure and making sure it makes sense. Because we love working with doctors. We know that doctors are very knowledgeable. They're highly skilled and trained. But are they highly skilled and trained in what you want done? That's that's the connect that needs to be made. And so, Doc, OK, tip number seven, if significant issues arise after a procedure, um, whether surgery or an office injections, anything, um, seek a second opinion on management. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think it sort of depends on circumstance. Obviously, you want to go back to your original surgeon first. But I would say 
if you don't feel that things are progressing or getting better, that's kind of the situation in which I think seeking a second opinion is not a bad idea. We're all products of our own past experience. And so it may be a situation that, say, I haven't had the, you know, I've been fortunate that I haven't had to manage before. And maybe there's somebody down the street who's had this situation arise a couple of times and has a little bit more experience and knowledge about how to manage this problem. Because as I alluded to before, complications are fairly rare in most cosmetic surgery. So if something happens half a percent of the time, it's entirely possible that I could go through an entire career without experiencing it. I mean, the law of averages would say that I would, but it's also possible. The, the, the more uncommon something becomes. So if you feel that you're not making great gains in the management, then I think it's really effective potentially to go see somebody else and get another opinion. And that person is going to have a completely fresh view of you and the situation. Plus they have no skin in the game because they didn't do your surgery. Right. And so they're not going to be kind of trying to convince themselves everything is fine because that does happen. So I would do that personally. I've done that personally, not necessarily for surgical issues, but you know, people do it all the time for health questions. They seek second opinions all the time, but they don't seem to do it at the surgery if they're having problems. So I think that if you feel that you're not making gains, you feel like something isn't going correctly, it's a great idea to just get a second opinion because you may find that they have a different perspective on the entire situation and then you'll be really happy you went. I think that's really important. That's some really good advice. Okay. So guys, these are seven important tips that you definitely need to consider if you are thinking about getting plastic surgery or if you know someone who's getting plastic surgery and just to kind of know these things to share with your patients because sometimes patients will ask us questions even if they're even if they're here for something else they're going to they're going to ask us a million and one questions about anything and everything and i like that the patients you know they trust us to ask these questions but if you don't know the answer we've provided you seven great tips but encourage them to find uh, how to find the right surgeon for them you know all of these safety tips are going to be really important so doc let me let, before we close out i just want to kind of ask, you know, again, post-pandemic, a lot of cosmetic surgeries are on the rise. What are some of the top surgeries that you're seeing, uh, would you say are kind of the most popular ones that people are going for these days? I think we're getting back to basics. Okay. There was Zoom Boom and everything became jawline and facial and, you know, downlight driven and all the rest of that. Actually in 2020, I was looking at a statistic the other day, breast augmentations went down 33%. Liposuction went down 20% because people just, it didn't matter. They sort of forgot about their bodies. <laughs> so I think the, it's starting to look more like 2019 in terms of the procedures that, that people are looking to do. Obviously, the top five are always rhinoplasty, blepharoplasty, I, mean, I can't even say it myself, sorry. Rhinoplasty, blepharoplasty, breast augmentation, liposuction, and then those are the four always in the top five. And then number five kind of goes in and out, depending. Maybe facelift, could be Brazilian butt lift. And those four kind of flip-flopped during the pandemic, but now they're back where 
liposuction, breast augmentation, okay. plasty, blepharoplasty. So back to those. Okay. All right. That, just kind of curious, interesting to know, because I know since we were quarantined, all, many of us were Zooming, like in our meetings. And so we got really, if you weren't used to looking at yourself, you were really looking at yourself in these meetings. And I, if I understand correctly, immediately coming out of the pandemic, facial stuff was like hot. Everybody's wanting, yes, because cause we're so like, oh my gosh, I look like this. But also, this also you'd have this conversation with your surgeon. I imagine when people come in, they have a picture and they say, I want to look like this. But I was reading this study that said that depending on the angle of your camera, because our phones can be misleading because they're wide lens cameras. And depending on how close your phone is to your face, it can distort what the picture looks like. And you don't really look like that if someone is standing away looking at you. So these are great you know, questions and things to bring up with your surgeon and a great surgeon's going to, you know, be patient with you and, you know, explain these things to you. Just real quickly, have, has anyone ever come into your office saying they want something and you're like, based on your, your expertise and for what they wanted that you would decline a surgery or suggest something else? Like, don't, just tell us one about one of those situations. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll leave out, I'll leave out the person that wanted to look like a Ken doll. That one was obvious photo. I got, I was shown wasn't even a photo of a Ken doll. It was a it was a drawing of a Ken doll. You know, so um, so that was obvious. Oh wow! But I think um, some people just have unrealistic expectations about what we can accomplish, or they 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 want more change than the procedure is likely to provide. And so I always say a few things. I say number one. I'm in the happiness business. If I can't make you happy, then I shouldn't try. Because if I don't make you happy, well, the only other thing I can make you is unhappy. If you have unrealistic expectations, that's an an issue. It also depends on your motivations. One of the things that you sometimes decline patients for is if they have external factors that are driving them to seek a procedure. Let's say that your marriage is in trouble. And you want to have a procedure mm. because you think looking better is going to make your spouse love you more. So that's the situation that I don't want to be involved in because the problem is that I could do a perfect procedure on you, but then if your spouse doesn't love you more, you're going to think there's something wrong with the procedure. So you have to look at people's motivations. Sometimes their motivations are not appropriate. And then sometimes there's safety issues. Like doing this procedure is just not safe, but you have to decline people on those grounds. But fortunately, it's uncommon. But you do need to be on the lookout for those situations and where me as a practitioner, I'm not likely to make you happy and, you know, sort of gracefully decline. That's an important tip. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And thank you so much for being a guest here on the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. I thank you. Nurse.org thanks you. Now, Doc, now tell us, I mean, we have listeners all over the world. Uh, I imagine some of them are in definitely New York. And hey, someone might want to travel out to see you. So where can they go to learn more about you, find out more about your practice, and just kind of stay in tuned and follow you for all these great type of tips? So my website is newfaceny.com. I know it's very uh, 2010 to talk about websites. So my Instagram is at newfaceny. So there's synergy there. Those are probably the, the two best places to just find out information about me and they'll link out to other things if you want to do a deep dive. 
but you know, just like with the after Zoom, right? Coming in to the office is important. You know, people can also call. <laughs> and you love it when there people call because then on the other end there's a human that can kind of talk to you a little bit more, you know, in depth about some of these things. And um, so we love when people call. So our number, I don't know if people say numbers anymore, is 212-595-1922. Thank you so much for that. And we'll make sure that goes in the show notes. So thanks so much for being a guest on our show. We appreciate you. And you guys, thanks so much for listening and tuning in to the Ask Ourselves podcast. Make sure you share this show with a friend, a colleague, a classmate, a neighbor. Hey, you never know who might be looking to have some plastic surgery done. I think it's been, it used to be hush hush, but I, I think we talk about it more openly now. I think it's, you know, more socially well received and a real big topic in the break room, guys. I heard y'all talk, so I know. Um, but also leave a rating or review on the show. Let us know how, what, how we did. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Would love to hear your thoughts. And until next time, guys, please, please, please make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.